Hello there, you are very welcome to Over the Wire, the podcast from the Anderson's Town News and BelfastMedia.com. I'm James McCarthy. If this is your first time joining us, we are the brand new podcast marking 50 years of the Anderson's Town News. And each episode, we will be taking a look back at the stories and the people who have made West Belfast what it is over the last five decades. Throughout the conflict, and indeed into the present day, one of the most vocal campaigns has been surrounding the use of plastic bullets by the British forces. Invented by the British forces in 1973, these bullets were originally designed to replace plastic bullets in an attempt to reduce fatalities. Over the period of the conflict, 14 people were killed by plastic bullets. Half of them were children and all but one were from the Catholic community. The first person to be killed by a plastic bullet impact was 10-year-old Stephen Geddes, who died on the 30th of August 1975, two days after being struck. In 1982, the European Parliament called on member states to ban the use of plastic bullets, but the British government refused and continued their use in the north of Ireland. On the 8th of July 1981, 33-year-old mother of three, Nora McCabe, was hit by a plastic bullet as she returned from the shops along Linden Street. She died in hospital the following day. This week on Over the Wire, we are joined by her daughter, Anya McCabe. Anya, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm well, thank you, James, and thanks for having me here today. Not a problem. Um, Your mother was killed by a plastic bullet as she made her way from the shops. Do you mind taking us through the circumstances which led to her death? Um, yes, certainly. We were living in London Street at the time, just off of Falls Road. Um, it was an early morning on the 8th of July. The news had just spread, it just broke about the community of the hunger striker Joe McDonald dying. Um, the place was quiet. It was like sort of a numbness around from what I hear. Obviously, I don't remember it back then, being only 15 weeks old at the time. Um, but the news had spread and my mum had left the house to go to the local shop. When she was on her way back, she was just coming up the street, just a few feet away from, from her home, from her children. And she was faintly shot in the back of the head with, an, with a plastic bullet fired from an IUC Land Rover. She was rushed to the nearby Royal Hospital where the surgeon told my father that her injuries were so severe that had she survived, she would be very badly brain damaged and have a very poor quality of life. He also stated that her injuries were consistent of that being struck with a plastic bullet. After several hours of surgery, my mummy died the following day, the 9th of July, 1981. I'm sure that the surgeon's statement stating that around about that time in July, he had probably seen, unfortunately, a lot of plastic bullet injuries coming in um, through the hospital. So he was well aware of of what he was looking at. Mm -hmm. And at the time of your mother's death, the RUC claimed that they're being riding in the area. Unbeknown to them, the incident had been captured on film by a Canadian film crew. This footage later came to light at a conference organised by Father Raymond Murray. How important was that footage to proving what had happened to your mother? Well, that footage was was fatal in my mother's case. Um, had they not had that footage, um, it would have been led to believe that the IUC didn't shoot my mother. 
um, they put their usual spin on things and um, my mother's case was no different from any others, you know, using their, their familiar tactics, spreading untruths through the media, etc. You know, um, they even went as far as to commit perjury at my mother's inquest, stating that no plastic bullet was fired in the Linden Street. Um, there was a statement... Uh, petrol bombs rained around us. There was debris on the road, used throwing stones, so on and so forth. Anyone that's familiar with the RUC, familiar with their court cases, will know it's the same story throughout. Um, the footage showed the truth of what happened that day. It was a quiet July morning. There was a few women further down at Sebastopol Street banging bin lids, which was common then. There was no rats, no rats, no petrol bombs, no debris on the road. The patrol was most certainly not under attack, as they had claimed that they were. Um, my father and his legal team, which was led by the human rights lawyer, the late Pat Finucan, they when they became aware of the tape's existence, they felt that without evidence, it was so clear that nobody could deny justice. Like, how could you deny justice with such clear-cut evidence? It's there, it's in black and white to be seen. It was examined by uh, RUC Detective Constable um, Alfred Enthwistle, who verified it. he done certain measurements on it. And he testified at my mother's inquest that this was a legitimate tape. He went to Canada and interviewed the cameraman. And, um, and even with his evidence, he, um, he, came, he came to the inquest and he gave the evidence. But the truth was bore out by the jury's statement at the conclusion of the inquest. Um, their statement was that there was no ratting taking place at the time. There was no legitimate target to be fired at. And that Nora McCabe was an entirely innocent victim. The coroner, James Elliott, his only response was to the legal representatives and all he asked was any comment. The Public Prosecution Service um, had decided even before the inquest that there would be no prosecution. Still to this day, no one has been held accountable for my mother's death. The officer in charge that day um, who ordered the shot to be fired, who perjured himself at the inquest, was later promoted to assistant chief constable and awarded by his queen. So where do you go with that? Even with the video evidence, which was vital, which showed the world that my mother was an innocent victim and my mother was murdered by the RUC, was shot. It, I, I, if that hadn't came to light, she would have just been another statistic, and another I number, another rider, sorry. Mm -hmm. I've previously spoken to your father about the footage and the impact that seeing it has had on him, but what impact did your mother's death have on you, her children? 
Um, so to be honest with you, James, I have all your wee questions all prepared and we answers wrote out for everything. This was the only one that I didn't prepare for because writing it down and reading it over and thinking about what you're going to say is incredibly difficult. Uh, I um, I was a tiny baby. I was only 15 weeks old. I was, I was not even on the solid foods. And my brother was two and a half, a toddler. And my other brother was six and a half. I can't speak for them and of the impact that it had on their lives of, you know, I, I can only speak for myself and and for what I see with my eyes, you know, and and feel where my heart myself. We didn't only lose I didn't only lose my mummy. I lost my whole family. We were we were separated because I was a tiny baby and I was a wee girl and and I was uh, I lived with my granny then. Uh, my brothers lived with my daddy, and we seen each other every day. We were very differently, more like cousins and siblings. Now we are very very close now, and but it's it's had sort of it's had an effect on every aspect of my life. As my in my childhood, growing up, watching my friends having their mummy, and you know these he's mummy's coming to the school and I'm looking at them going gosh your mummy's also young and mine's is really old the, the later to realize you know actually that's my granny even though it was never sort of kept from me or anything that's not your mummy that or that's your mummy now you know whatever you know it was I'm growing up with the knowledge that my mother was murdered by the RUC by the police force when when other people who are not say from our community say from Ireland hear that their automatic thought is oh, what you do you know and, and you're sort of living with that you don't know whether to announce it or hide it or you know and it, it's it's came with me the whole way through up into my adulthood it affects my life um as a parent myself um you know, a, a very triggered by PTSD with with everything. You know, um, especially like last year when there was rats and stuff going on. I mean, my poor kids were terrorized. They couldn't walk out the door, and I was constantly on the phone. I was, please stay in, don't go out. You know, and and this comes up every now and again. They're 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 totally overprotective. It has a knock on effect. Like it's intergenerational trauma. You know, it ha it has came down that that trauma, the shooting, it happened to my mother, but it happens to me every day because I live it every day. I live with knowing that she's not here, knowing that she was murdered by the state, knowing that they did it because they could and they did and they would get away with it and they did get away with it. They were rewarded for it. You know, li living with that feeling is it's difficult and it's I mean I'm not saying oh my god I have a terrible life everything's awful but it it's not nice mm -hmm. you know and and 
my children feel that too and and my children know that and it's it's come into play through every part of my life when you the, the big events when your mummy's supposed to be there my mummy was there for none of them with me I hadn't even got my first tooth when my mummy was murdered I don't know never knew till I was an adult how to grieve for my mummy I didn't know if I was allowed because how do you grieve for somebody that you don't know how do you think back till your happy memories you had with them when there is no memories I don't know agree for what what could have been and there's always the what ifs and the maybes and the and then there's the injustice of it and the constant fight. I mean, my daddy spent 40 years of his life trying to fight for plastic bullets to be banned, for the victims to be recognised as, as victims. Mm -hmm. And go ahead. And as you mentioned there, obviously the campaign in, in August 1984, following the death of John Downs, Clara Riley and the late Emma Groves, who herself had been blinded by rubber bullets in 1971, set up the United Campaign Against Plastic Bullets. For decades after your mother's death, as, you're, as you'd mentioned there, your father was instrumental to that campaign. And as adults, yourself and your brothers have been continuing that work. As part of that campaign, your father travelled the world from America to the Vatican, education, uh, educating people on the use of plastic bullets and their impact. You must have told you some interesting stories about that time. Well, you know what, I can't um, I can't speak for my daddy or tell you the stories of his adventures, which I'm sure he had plenty, um, because they're not my stories to tell. What I can tell you is that the general feedback that my that I got from my father was that the British government employed tactics around the world to portray the 17 victims of plastic and rubber bullets as terrorists, as law-breaking criminals and as violent rioters. My daddy, along with the other members of the United Campaign Against Plastic Bullets, made it their lives work, not only to have the bullet banned, but to also spread the truth about the victims of plastic bullets, uh, plastic and rubber bullets, sorry. Um, he made great friendships and we were brought up with, with the likes of Emma Groves and uh, Brenda Downs and all the right Clara Riley and really strong, independent women men, people that were out fighting for justice and had this strength and this sense of community with them. Um, I used to toddle along when I was younger with my daddy to the plastic bullet meetings and stuff. And, you know, he was a single parent. It was hard for him to get a babysitter or whatever, you know. So we'd have toddled along and, and went to, in the early days, they had meetings in, in the likes of Emma Groves' house, which to me was like, totally a mansion and you know and it, it was she was sitting with these people and listening tell them talk they, they talked serious and they talked about what they needed to do and who they were writing letters to and all the stuff I didn't understand but they also smiled at each other they always asked about each other's family they knew the hardships what what each and every one of them had been through and the new the fight that they had ahead of them and, and they all stood together and they all helped each other. 
through through the hard times and smiled with each other in the good times, you know, and, and that's what I took from the United campaign against plastic bullets, you know, and, and that's what we're hoping to do with the campaign now, you know, mm-hmm. take it on onto that and, and continue as they did and make them proud. Throughout the years, the police have introduced what they believe are safer variations of the plastic bullets, and they have been renamed attenuating energy projectiles. We've continued to see their use, including just last year, as you had mentioned, when they were fired at young people riding in the Springfield and Shankill areas. Despite this, the campaign have continued to call for them to be banned. Do you think they'll ever be banned? Um, yeah, well, that's what we're fighting for. That's... Um... That's where we're at now. I mean, they changed the name again, like they did from the rubber bullet to the plastic bullet. They changed the name, they changed the design slightly. Um, same as what they've done with the IUC to the PSNI, but they're still a deadly weapon. And they, there's nowhere else in the UK that's police force. This is heavily armed as it is here. There's nowhere else in the UK that plastic and rubber bullets are fired, no matter what the riot situation, no matter what kind of crowd control is necessary. They're too dangerous for everywhere else but the north of Ireland. There has to come a time, and that is why the families of the, the victims of plastic bullets and rubber bullets are banned together. The United Campaign Against Plastic Bullets is still here and we're still fighting for them to be banned. We're still fighting for our loved ones to not be seen as criminals, as riders, as lawbreakers. The ones that fired the plastic bullets there, there's there was a list of laws uh, govern the use of plastic bullets and among these laws were that they were only to be aimed at the lower part of the body. All the victims of rubber and plastic bullets were shot on the upper body. They they were to be fired no less than 20 metres. All of the people that were killed by plastic and rubber bullets were shot at within that distance. You know, who's the real criminals here? It's not our family members, and that's what the United Campaign Against Plastic Bullets are are working on now. Um, and we hope to have all our politicians on board. And and I don't want to wait until someone else is killed by this new named plastic bullet, you know, projectile, whatever it wants to be called. It is what it is. I don't want to wait till someone else is killed to have someone else come and join our campaign you know you don't have to have a loved one murdered or injured with plastic bullets to support us um and i'm afraid i'm afraid that's all we have time for on you thank you for coming on to the podcast and also a big thank you to each and every one of you at home for listening until next time thank you james